Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Let me get over to stuff here. I'm reading from a couple of places today that say pretty much the same thing. And there's several places in the Bible where things do run congruently and, and say things similar. This is uh, from Colossians, the first chapter. Let me open this, though, with a little premise that sometimes, you know, I wonder why. You know, why things happened the way they did through the through the course of time uh, from what the Bible tells us. And, you know, my part in that, you know, what is my part in that and, 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 and why? So I'll start with that and I'll read from this scripture starting with verse 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created, created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The second scripture I'm going to be reading from is from Hebrews, the first chapter. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom, he, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than others. Yeah, there's so much there, and so much power. But as I said when I started, you know, why me, or, or what do I have to do with this? You know, in, in a personal sense. And, and in actuality, it's, it has everything to do with, with the family of God, not so much as us as individuals, but us as a corporate group of the ones who understand 
that we have the inheritance through what Christ has done for us. And this table is a partial explanation of that. The body and the blood of Christ. The sacrifice that was planned before time began, at least, you know, for us. Time, when you think about it, how long has time uh, began for us? Well, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, <laughs> very recently, all of us, you know. But we're talking before the creation, which, by the way, Christ was responsible for everything that's made. He used the power of God. But maybe he feels he has a vested interest because he made us that he should die for us. I know if I made something, I would be willing to sacrifice something to make sure that it was kept safe and kept in existence. But it's much more powerful than that because he lowered himself from being, you know, the beloved son of God down to below the angels to make sure that we had a path back to the Father. And that path has been cleared perfectly by him. Not a little bit, not partially, absolutely. And most religions don't teach that. They teach that we have to make our own path. And that is a lie. The path is clear. We just need to get on it. Keep our eyes on Christ and keep on that path. And we will have the inheritance as promised to us through this sacrifice. That's what I have to say.
I'd also like to wish everyone a good uh, morning and everyone listening on the internet. Uh, I uh, just very, 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 very quickly. I, I keep returning back when I when I think about what I'd like to say when I stand up here and, and we talk about the offering. We talk about the financial support of the work here, uh, this particular spot, you know, in Coolidge and you know, occasionally some other ways that we help people, um, you know, outside of this work. Um, I always think about this story that uh, kind of came to me and has stayed with me about uh, a person, any any individual person, male, female, it doesn't matter, but just we've all heard these stories about people that their lives have broken down to the point where all they have left is they need to return to the Lord. They need to get their lives straightened out. They need to get around the right kind of people, get into a church, and find that footing for their lives so they can live productively uh, as individuals and be part of something constructive. And that's a great story. I mean, we, we've all heard it, uh, probably several or even many, many times. But my question to you is, what happens when this individual goes to this church family and then discovers that what they're learning there is also a lie? It's also not true that they've been misled and lied lied to and led astray and all the things that drove them to the bottom to start over where do they turn then and that's a chilling chilling thought for me and it's i think it's something that quite frankly i think it would it does anger god and I don't want to be part of that, and I don't want to have him angry with me or anything that I'm doing in my works. So the reason I bring this up today is of the mission that we have in this place to be truthists and truth only. And sometimes, for me just for me personally, that means leaving my baggage behind and being open to what is true, especially when it's being proven to me in the Word, proven to me through the language, proven to me through the way that it harmonizes with the, with the rest of the truth. This is our mission here. This is what we do. And it's a hard road, folks. Because the spirit of deception is all over. So, we have our charge, we have our mission, and I pray that we all together fight it together and bring the truth of God to everyone that we meet or everyone that comes in here. Amen.
Well, good morning. It's uh, it's a wonderful day, and uh, I think uh, you need to be uh, feel real blessed in it. I like reading, and I like talking about the Acts of the Apostles, because as I said, and I've said in the last few weeks, it's the pivot, if you will, the pivot point of the scriptures. Uh, All that came before, in a chronological way, I'm talking, uh, and then those that, the the things that follow. Uh, It is the pivot of a very uh, of a of a good chronology both directions. Now there's Bibles out there, uh, chronological Bibles. Uh, I have one at home. It, it doesn't doesn't work very well because some of the dating there's different ideas on dates. Okay, so the chronology can suffer a little bit by it. Uh, but the scripture from the scriptures we can find the dates. Um, it, I don't think we could find the date of, uh, of when Job lived, except for some of the things that he says. You know, he does mention, you know, in, in Job, uh, the Jordan River is mentioned. So apparently it had been named. <laughs> you know, a few things like this. It was after the flood because there was mention of what had, what had happened during the flood. So we get an idea, but we don't know the exact date. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the fact that this is the pivot point in God's plan for man. It starts in Genesis. And there's promise made to Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis uh, that there's a time coming uh, that her seed would bring forth the Redeemer and, and, and he would crush the work of Satan. And so we find that uh, this is the time period that we're dealing with right here. And in doing that, the body of Christ and the new covenant came to be, and this is how the body of Christ came to be, through the Lord, through, through the, the Jewish Messiah, uh, through the, the, his deeds and all that he did for us and, and the rest of the world, and, and the to the Jew first and then the Gentile, as, as the scriptures lay out very clearly. So just uh, just know that's where we're at. Uh, how This is how the body of, of Christ came to be, the church. And the scriptures tell us how. The scriptures tell us why. You ever noticed, uh, if you read a newspaper, there's always the thing, uh, who, what, why, and where. Well, you know, however the reporters used to do it. But you know that word, why? That's the tough one to answer. Why? Why is answered in the scripture. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why? Because man sinned in the garden. That's why. How is it we can remove the sin from our, from our, 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 our self before God? The why is answered through Jesus, through the through the uh, the apostles preaching in uh, uh, Acts chapter two. As a matter of fact, the why and and uh, all of this is answered, and that's why I love the book of Acts because to humanity, this is a real answer to a lot of problems. 
The world has forgotten many times that the answers to the things that we really need in this life is in the Scriptures. And the more you're into the Scriptures, the more you realize um, just how true that is. Now, when it, when it comes to the, the body of Christ and how it came to be, it was not due to the will of mankind or some organization that men put together. That is not how the body of Christ came to be. Or because of the piety of the Jewish leaders. Or the piety of anyone outside of the one that was truly pious, that was truly sinless, and that was Jesus of Nazareth. It was God's plan of reconciliation. That's what the the apostles called their ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. God was being reconciled back to man. Man was actually being reconciled back to God. Just put it in the right order. They were the ones that needed to make the, the trip, if you will. They needed to do something to be reconciled again with their creator. It was his plan that mankind would have a remedy for their sins. And how? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not just from, from uh, obtaining a PhD in theology. That's not going to help you. Unless you contact the blood of Christ in a spiritual way. Unless you are indeed in Christ, you have no access to having your sins forgiven. That's what we learn in the scriptures. That's the apostolic message. The apostles of Christ, were they the learned of Israel? Well, when they became apostles and Jesus sent them out, they were the learned of Israel. But before that, what were they? They were fishermen. They were this and they were that. But Jesus made them what they were and gave them the very mind of Christ that they would speak the words from the Lord himself because he was with his Father in heaven. Um, We read in our scriptures, it always says at his right hand. In the Greek, it's in his right hand. So think about that a while. That's the relationship of Father. Being in Christ is the same relationship as Jesus being in the right hand of the Father. Not at, in. The Greek word is in, not at. Mankind can claim no worthiness or or authorship to the faith in Christ. or his deeds, or even his origin. Mankind cannot. Man can only surrender to God's terms of pardon. God requires us to surrender to him. You know the old hymn, I Surrender All, and many like that. Is, is, is there are hymns that are to bring a person emotionally to the point they will say, I'm going to 
do what he wants and not just what I want. Most people get up every day and do exactly as they please. And then at the end of the day, they complain about the fact that they didn't get to do what they want that day because the boss wouldn't let them or somebody, something happened. But that's not what's happening. They're doing exactly as they please. There comes a time when we need to do what our Creator has given us task to do. And we do that. We surrender to God's terms of pardon through his son, Jesus Christ. As Peter so preached to the Jews in Jerusalem on Pentecost, A.D. 31. That's chapter 2 of Acts. Now, we heard all of the details of that message preached by Peter and, and the apostles, for they were speaking to It was sufficient for them that day as it is for us today. Sufficient. Sufficiency of the Savior. Uh, There used to be a lot said about that phraseology, the sufficient Savior. There might even be some uh, hymns that were written concerning that. Because... uh, That says everything we need to know. Now, if what was said in chapter 2 is sufficient for salvation, then would it be not also sufficient today? Well, I think it would be, wouldn't it? Remember, the, the men asked, after Peter told them everything about Jesus and what their position was, they asked him, Men and brethren, they ask him and the other apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That was, they were pleading to know the answer. That's where conversion should be for everyone. The need is met. That's what we find here in chapter 3. There's a need that's going to be met after The day of Pentecost, after the great uh, salvation that was seen that day of 3,000 men, uh, there were probably more than that. Um, Typically, we hear that uh, only the men are counted in these these things, uh, such as uh, on Pentecost, 3,000 men. Well, there were obviously women there, too, and, and others. Um, young and old but uh, in the same way with the feeding of the 5,000 well 5,000 it doesn't really say but there's always the thought that it's only they're only counting the men well I'm not sure of that exactly but I don't think that's the point the point is it was a great number and in chapter 3 Peter and John are out they're going to a place place of prayer by themselves um, for one reason or another. We don't know. It doesn't say. But I think it's interesting. Let's read the first three verses of this chapter. And Peter and John were going up at the time, at the same time, to the temple. 
So they were together going at the same time. At the hour of the prayer, the ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, all right? A certain man, being lame from the womb of his mother, was being carried, whom they were laying every day at the gate of the temple, called Beautiful, to ask a kindness from those entering into the temple, who having seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, was begging to receive a kindness. So he was looking at them at them at that time. Now this is a this is interesting. It seems clear that Peter and John had seen this man probably a number of times. How many times had they went to the temple in the last, well, their whole lives, but, I mean, just in the last three and a half years with Jesus, they went there a lot of times. This was a daily occurrence. Uh, When they were in Jerusalem, they weren't always in Jerusalem. They were usually other places, but this was the time of prayer, three o'clock in the afternoon. I think they'd seen this man before Apparently, because whoever carried him there, uh, maybe some uh, members of his family, I'm sure, would carry him there and put him there when when they knew that there would be people coming by to in and out. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And then they probably came and got him when, when the people thinned out. That's so he could have something to help himself and kind of defray because he certainly couldn't do anything for himself outside of being, I I like how Young's phrases it here, uh, he was asking a kindness. I don't think I've read that in any other uh, scripture. It's just usually begging. But he was asking a kindness. Isn't that what he was really doing? Yeah. The beautiful gate that's mentioned here is not absolutely known which gate it is, but the, most people believe it's it's the gate on the east side of the temple complex that's inside of the walls, um, the east gate um, that would look directly, as you're looking, come through that gate, you'd look directly into the temple area, the temple complex and all the things in front of the temple and the steps and all. And um, gives us a direction, I guess. And it could be that that would have been the closest gate for them to go into the temple. Or it could be that's the one that they should go in. Uh, We don't know that for sure. But obviously, something was going to happen here. And we're going to look at, you know, we're we're going to find that there's a miracle that's going to occur. And this is a miracle uh, that the apostles are going to be involved in. And you know, miracles were something that the apostles had the ability to do.
They could also lay hands on others, and they would be gifted with other spiritual gifts. But no one else, that person that had their hands laid on, could not pass that on to anyone else. That's what the Scripture teaches. So these things had a time period, and then they have went away because of what the, how the Scripture teaches it. But from verse, uh, let's look at verses 4 through 12 here about the miracle. And Peter, having, looking, uh, having looked steadfastly towards him with John, said to, to, the, to the man, look towards us. And he was giving heed to them, looking to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold. I have none, but what I have, that I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and be walking. And having seized him by the right hand, he raised him up. And presently his feet and ankles were strengthened. And springing up, he stood and was walking, and did enter with them into the temple. They just went right over to him, extended their hand, and he got up and went with them right through the gate. I think that's great. All right. Walking and springing and praising God. That's what he was doing. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. They were knowing him also that this it was who, for a kindness, was sitting at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what has happened to him. Verse 11 and 12. And at the lame man who was healed, holding Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And Peter, having seen, answered unto the people, Men, Israelites, why wonder you at this? Or on us, why look ye so earnestly? as if by our own power or piety we have made him to walk. Isn't that just like things always go out? I think the other thing is when, when Peter reached down, and maybe both of them reached down and helped him up, and he walked, and he j- jumped for joy and, and walked with them in, he stayed right with them. He was hanging on them. And people saw this. He looked steadfast towards him. That's what the scripture says. In other words, Peter got his attention when he looked steadfastly at him and said, look towards us. You see, to me this is an illustration of the whole idea of how it is that we are drawn, if you will, to the gospel of Christ, 
to the faith, we need, in many cases, we need to be distracted from something that we're doing. And maybe take just a minute to look, look towards it. Consider it for a moment. Very hard, it's very hard to get anyone's attention in this world today. Unless you're doing something hideous, then everyone's looking. But I mean, if you're just trying to uh, offer a kindness even, many times you're kind of on your own. And he said to him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, let's, let's let it be known exactly where all of this is coming from and who we are. We do everything in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And we know what that Greek word nomen means. It means in, in the very essence of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah. In his name, he commanded this man to rise up and be walking. That's exactly what happened. Not after a long period of time, not after a lot of rigmarole and and a lot of uh, organ play and things of that sort. No, no, immediately. It happened immediately. He was up, springing on his legs and feet. He walked into the temple area with Peter and John, and everyone there knew him. They recognized him as being the one that was always sitting there when people came in at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, as we would call it. And he was hanging on Peter and John and praising God, probably at the top of his voice. Why not? A great thing had been done. This was a new life for him. New life. Is that symbolic again of, of what it is that Christ gets a person's attention and they come to him? Isn't that where the new life, that's the, the road to? That's the, that's the work of the apostles of Christ, friends. And it is work of of everyone that is presenting the gospel of Christ. From a pulpit, from a street corner, from over over the fence in your backyard, whatever. This is the road. And at this time, Peter takes great opportunity, I think, uh, to speak on the so-called, you know, the elephant in the room. What has happened to this man? Hundreds of people are seeing him. They know who he is. He was the man that had always been lame. They knew that he was lame from his mother's womb. How is this man walking and leaping in the air? Peter said, why wonder ye at this? As if by our own power or piety, this man walks. To clear the air. It's not Peter. It's not John. 
not any of the other apostles. No, it's who sent them. Jesus spent three and a half years teaching the Jewish people what? The number one thing. He had been sent by the Father. Three and a half years of it. All he said, all he did said one thing. God sent him. Now the apostles had been also sent. This is how God works. This is how he does things. That's, this is why this is so important. And this, this is, and we say, the pivot of the scripture and, and, and things are changing, if you will. But I'm sure the folks immediately thought that something that Peter and, and John had done had caused this. But who were they? Well, some of them might have known who they were. That maybe they thought they were the Galileans that were with Jesus. I don't know. But I got a feeling most of them didn't know. But they knew one thing. This man was walking and leaping, and he had never done so before. Go on to the next section here, where Peter charges the Jews. You see, I said he had great opportunity. He took opportunity. Anything. This, this miracle did what? It got the attention of these people. There's nobody that wasn't looking and wondering. Are they ready to hear something? Oh, yes, they are. They want to know something. What's happened? He's going to tell them what's happened. He's going to tell them uh, some other things that they don't want to hear, too, about what position they really are in. Peter charges the Jews with rejecting God's Messiah. That's how he starts. Verses 13 through um, uh, 16, we read this. Peter starts to speak. He says, the God of Abraham and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, did glorify his child, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. He having given judgment to release him. That's verse 13. Let me point out something here. Just so that they understood who he was talking about, this is the God of who? Their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they, he's saying that they glorified his child, Jesus. You know what glorified means? It means recognition. Recognition that his child, the Messiah, was who he said he was, the very Son of God. But he's, then he turns it around. He says, whom you delivered up. Denied him in the presence of Pilate. Denied who? God's Messiah. The one recognized by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh my. 
You see, I wasn't there. I wasn't a Jewish person of that day, and I'm moved by this. Can you imagine the emotion felt by those people at that time hearing that? I'm not saying, not everyone there probably had a part in this, but, but many did. That's what the end of all the Gospels have this account about what happened on that day. All right, verse 14. And you, the holy and righteous one, did deny and desired a man, a murderer, to be granted to you. Remember, they wanted, they yelled for Barabbas instead of Jesus to be released. And the prince of life you did kill whom God did raise out of the dead, of which we are witnesses. Who's the we? The we in the Greek is first person plural. It is the apostles of Christ. Those were, they are the eyewitnesses of Jesus. Others saw Jesus after his resurrection, more than 500. But they are his eyewitnesses because they was with him at the beginning and at the end, and through the whole time. That's why they are the eyewitnesses. That's why they are the we. That's why we obey the teaching of the apostles of Christ. Because he sent them. As God sent Jesus, his son, so Jesus sent these men, the apostles, unto the world. And on the faith of his name, this one whom you see have known, his name made strong, even the faith that is through him did give to him this perfect soundness before you all. So how did the miracle occur? How is this man walking? All because of Jesus the Messiah. That's how. It's through his power. It's through his glory. It's through him being recognized as the Messiah by the apostles and by a number of others. They, Peter said, they had denied the righteous one, the prince of the life. Not just life. The prince of the life. You see, the life is is the life that the apostle John talks about in his first epistle. And other places. When you see the word, the, the uh, definite article, the, in front of a word, you know that it is the, it's the origin. It's the, the fullness of. So it's, we have life. Uh, everyone walking around, you see, they're alive. They have life, a physical life. The life is the life that has no end. That's what Jesus, that, that's, what being in Christ is all about. You have, if you are in Christ, you have the life. You have no end of life. That's what's being talked about here. That one, the prince of the life, did you kill. But God did raise him out of the dead, of which we the apostles are witnesses. 
You know, if he'd have stopped there, I suppose he'd have been justified. But that's not, that's not what preaching the gospel is about, friends. To be converted many times, you have to be convicted that you are indeed separated from God by your actions. That's what was happening here. But wait, see, there's something more. There's something more to God's, God's redemptive plan. There's a way for you to do something on your own behalf. Let's look at verse uh, 17. Because Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, and so says the Scriptures, the prophets, and the apostles. In verse 17 through 26, we read this. And now, brethren, I have known through that through ignorance you did it, as also your rulers. So, Yes, many of them were innocent of it by ignorance, but not all. And God, and God, what things before he had declared through the mouth of all of his prophets, and the Christ should suffer, he did fulfill this. Reform ye, therefore, and turn back for your sins being blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And he, and he may send Jesus Christ who before hath been preached to you, whom it behooveth heaven indeed to receive till times of restitution of all things. In other words, Jesus will be with the Father until the restitution of all things. Behold, I make all things new, as God said. That has occurred in the, in the kingdom of God, in the new covenant. Where did I leave off? For Moses indeed unto the fathers said, a prophet to you shall the Lord your God raise up out of your brethren, like to me. He shall you hear in all things, and many as he may speak unto you, and it shall be every soul that may not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed out of the people. And also, all the prophets from Samuel and those following in order, as many we spake, did also foretell of these days. These days are the days of the Messiah that he's speaking of. All the prophets spoke of it. And he goes on to say, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made unto your fathers, saying unto Abraham, And... In thy seed shall be blessed all the families of earth. For to you first, God having raised up his child Jesus, did send him, blessing you in the turn away, in the turning away of each one from your evil ways. That's his message to them. 
What did he say? Repent and believe. Turn away from your evil ways. Now to, now to them, Peter offers a remedy for their error from their ignorance. But their ignorance will not save them forever. They must come now that they have heard. Now that they know that only in Christ Jesus one can please God. How did they know that it was Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of God? Well, how was this man walking? Another miracle from heaven. Very convincing, I would say. At least enough to listen and to understand. They understood he wasn't speaking against Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wasn't speaking against the, the covenant that God had given him and the promises he made. No, no. He was speaking for them. He was saying, they told you of this day, all the prophets, everyone that came spoke of this that you see now. There was now no excuse that the Jews had after they had heard these words of salvation. Not now, not then, after they heard, or not any time in, in between. You see, the preaching of the gospel is a, is a wonderful thing. But it's also a frightening thing to those that hear the truth and reject the truth. Now, sometimes... People reject things until they understand more, understand better. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, I think that as it says in Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, I believe, that the, the power of the gospel is, is God's way of, of, of presenting the truth, a, a way that has a power to move the minds and hearts of men. We hear the gospel, and then we are going to do something about it. We're either going to accept it, the truth, we're either going to learn the truth and stand on the truth, or we will reject the truth. You see how the pivot has a way of, we, we all have a pivot point in our life in that way, don't we? And that's what we're trying to see here. That's what we're studying here. Um, we're out of time this morning. We'll let off right there. Uh, we've covered this, this chapter. Now, something happens, of course, because of this. Because of what Peter said and the great turmoil there within the temple grounds. They're inside of the gate. They're in the larger area here that's called the, wom the, the woman's court. Uh, where people gather. And by the way, only Jewish people were there. Uh, not, not the beautiful gate, but the other gate outside of the other wall, there were signs on both sides that if anyone entered into this area that was not a Jew, they would be killed. And they weren't kidding. Because this ground was was sanctified for the covenant people of God at that time.
and so forth. So we are speaking of what the Jews heard in these early days of the preaching of the gospel by the apostles. And we'll move on from there because something happens because of this. Because every time the apostles speak, believe me, something happens. People believe, but also the, those that are the adversaries of the Messiah will also have something to do and something to say, as we will find. So I hope these words have been useful to you today. Uh, as we looked at Acts once again, we're going to be singing, Take the Name of Jesus with you at this time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.